What's up? Uh, you st- Good, same. East Coast type same. <laughs> it's still makeup. It's still there. It's still there. All right. Well, chat. What in the world podcast community? Welcome back to a uh, another episode on this fine Sunday evening. Um, happy Fourth of July weekend, first of all. So, hope everybody's out there res- celebrating responsibly and safely. Um, and uh, make sure that your little your dogs are taken care of because it's not a fun weekend for them or anybody with uh, any type of uh, PTSD from anything. So, just gonna put that little PSA out there. Um, but with us tonight, yeah, you know, I know, dude. It's 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 a struggle for some people. It's a struggle for some people out there, man. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, tonight we have uh, Amanda Johnson with us. Um, I am actually not going to steal any of the intro thunder from her for her story, so um, I'm gonna let her do that if she wants. Alex, if you want to say a few words, you can go ahead. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna let her. I'm gonna say I'm gonna let her. um any jokes made on this podcast i can already tell just in our brief conversation that amanda has a really good sense of humor um but this is not an easy topic to talk about it's a really mm-hmm. horrific story um and any jokes that are made on, on my part um is not towards the situation it's kind of like last week speaking with that gentleman that lost his wife you know we it was we were laughing and joking, and I felt like I kept having to say, like, 
I'm not trying to say that your wife's death was a great thing, but you know, yeah. great things have come from it, if you will. Um, so it's a really hard story to talk about, but at the same time, I I think it's an important one to talk about. And you're you're writing a book about your experience. Is that correct? I am. I actually um just if you can track with me, I just submitted the edit to the final edit for the last edit of my book. <laughs> so many edits. Okay. So many edits. Yeah. Um, but but yes, it is projected to be published um, in the fall. I don't have a hard release date yet, but. Yeah. Um, and we actually have a link um, down below in the description of this live video for y'all to go check out um, and pre-order that book if you, Thank you so desire at the end of this. So. It is down there ready to go. Um, but yeah, awesome. um, first of all, thank you so much for coming on and taking the time out of your Sunday to come and talk with us and share your story. Um, it's in a, I think it's a very, it's an important topic to talk about for sure. Um, and I think one that uh, there's a lot of controversy around it, I think sometimes, uh, but there's also, it's not talked mm -hmm. about enough. Um, and a lot of the times, a lot of the stories get just kind of swept under the rug, which is not okay. Um, so we appreciate it. I agree. It. And so with that, I just want to thank you, gentlemen, for allowing me to come on and talk about it because it is a topic that so many people shy away from for various different reasons. And mm -hmm. so I want to thank you for the opportunity to be of able to, to speak about it. Of course. So, guys, this is going to be um, your last trigger warning. Let me use that phrase. This is going to be your last yeah. trigger, trigger warning before we jump into it. Um, this tonight's episode is going to deal with uh with SA and if you're not familiar with the shorthand for SA is a sexual assault um and that is you know kind of where Amanda's story is and what her book is about um so with that uh I'm just going to turn it over to you Amanda and we'll go from there and Alex and I will probably just jump in here and there as we have questions or other things that uh you know we want to we want to okay. in input in so the floor is yours ma'am yeah okay thank you and um, I guess before I like just I'll just start off with um, saying thank you with the the comment about your jokes that it's um, very fitting because I do talk about how learning to laugh again was really, really important um, and reclaiming my life after surviving rape. And um, so, I mean, the audience is like, well, what happened? So when I was 22 years old, I was in my fourth year at the University of Nevada, Reno. And I had finished a midterm at 10 p.m. And I left with a group of people. And um, because it had been ingrained in me growing up that there is safety in numbers. And... As we approached the parking garage, I was the only one that had parked on the ground floor. And so I surveyed the area and I didn't see anything between myself and the vehicle. And so I wished the group a good week that I'll see you guys like, you know, next time. And I started heading to my vehicle. And as I was walking, making my way, it became abundantly clear to me that what I had not seen was a man that was hunched behind the wheel well of a sedan and a truck. Mm. And um, he, I won't get into the details, but he grabbed me from behind and um, forced me to the ground. 
and rape me at gunpoint mm. for several minutes and then he left me there um he went on to kidnap and rape his second victim and he raped and murdered his last known victim uh most people will ask me well what did you do next what did you do and i was in we always think i always thought i knew what i would do if i ever found myself in this situation but you can never really prepare for the amount of shock that will rush over you when you find yourself in a a life-threatening situation like that and so um i remember driving to the closest safe place for me which was my sorority house um i was not living in the house at the time but it was my fourth year as a member and from across the interstate, I could see the hospital and I considered going and, and reporting. But I didn't want my body to be a crime scene mm-hmm. because I knew enough knowing that that's, that's what we're asking survivors to subject themselves to mm-hmm. um, in, in that moment. And it is an extremely personal choice. Um, And I had a plan of survival and my plan of survival was this didn't happen. And we're just going to, I'm going to wash it away. I'm going to just make it so that, and then move on. Mm. And um, so I went to the house, I took a shower, I drove home to where I actually lived and took another shower. And then the next morning when I woke up, I, I truly believed that I had had the worst nightmare of my life. And I would later learn that that's a very common response to have to dissociate and to have dissociative amnesia. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't remember until about two weeks after. And then at that point, I knew that it was far too late to make a report. Um, and so uh, you guys can like jump in and ask questions if you have them. Um, I'm just kind of giving like a brief, over like timeline um and so he I ended up letting my roommate know what had happened because I was so inconsolable and I had my mood had shifted Mm -hmm. so much and um after I remembered I let her know what was going on and um she encouraged me to go and make a report and I said you know like I'm going to look like a crazy person looking for attention. I'm not doing that. Just leave it alone. Um, and, and so then reports came out of the, the second victim, but it was really when the third one went missing Mm. that she really wanted me to make a report because she thought it was the same person. And I, when you're faced with stuff like that and it's your own self, there's so much denial that's so much easier to yeah. embrace yeah. than actually For accepting sure. the reality of mm-hmm. um, and the gravity of this situation. Mm-hmm. But my roommate called the detectives and they called me. And once they approached me, it was like, it was no longer about me. Yeah. And so what I've, 
I was really hoping that I could just go in, tell my story, and they'd let me go. But then they let me know that they were pretty certain it was the same individual. And um, I helped them compose a sketch because I had seen half of his face. Hmm. That was going to be one of my questions. And that sketch was pretty instrumental, was actually the strongest piece of evidence that for my particular case, um, when it went to trial, because they did eventually end up catching him, trying mm-hmm. and convicting him. And he's currently now sitting on death row in um, in Nevada for the murder of his last victim. Mm. And then he's serving four consecutive life sentences. Good. Yeah, good for him. Oh, yeah. no, not good for him. Like, good that he's fucking there. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. He, he's so, where he deserves um, to be. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, he worked hard to be there. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jesus. So I have written a book. It's called "Beyond Survival: Reclaiming My Life After I Survived Rape." Because, to be honest, the word "survivor" just like is like sandpaper to me. Because mm-hmm. I survived. I was left alive, but I wasn't really living my life. I was going through the motions and um at the time of my my race I was dating a man who is now my husband and um we have three beautiful girls and and such but so I was doing all these steps I was going through the motions of surviving Uh but I wasn't actually living my life because the night that my that I was raped my soul was murdered who yeah. I was becoming changed forever. And there was no, there's no me going back to who I was the night I went into that parking garage. No, no, there's not. Um, but and, I mean, kudos to your like now husband for um, the man that he is and by sticking by you um, the entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's amazing. And that's awesome. So like huge respect for him uh, in my yeah. book for sure. Like that's awesome. I'm glad that there was at least some like happy, you know, like, or so I don't know, yeah. what I, I want to call it like a happy ending or like a silver lining, you know, um, out of all of that, but that he, you know, he stayed and maintained like a solid presence uh, in your life. Yeah, I think that that's like, it's so interesting. It's such a common response that you have. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people say it and it makes my husband so uncomfortable because he's like, well, why wouldn't I? Mm-hmm. It wasn't your fault. It didn't yeah, like damage you. It didn't. And I think that response in him helped me fight the lies so much that I'm up with a lot of survivors from mm-hmm. rape. I know I just said that like grains me like sandpaper, but that's yeah. what everybody that's the so, that's what they've dubbed it. The, yeah the coin phrase yeah the coin um, phrase yeah and it's it's just um it's like just like it's so mm-hmm. sad because people say like oh be a survivor go out there and you know rise above but then at the same time people act like it was my fault by saying that they're shocked that like unintentionally, you know, like saying that they're shocked that my husband stayed with me. Mm-hmm. I th- I think that but... part of that is the fact that I think maybe the way society is now that there's the, uh, mm-hmm. not enough people have the um, courage, the courage to, you know, 
stick by somebody through that. They don't have, I don't know if Kirk yeah. is the right word. Um, they just I don't, don't, they don't I'm, have, not, I'm not being critical. Yeah, I'm, tr- I'm trying to like, I'm trying to find the right, the you right said. thing. Yeah. It's, but it's, I think it, I mean, bad is bad, right? right. Like life is messy. Mm-hmm. Everybody's life is messy. We all have a story and people can be sitting there and, and, hearing what I've been through and think oh man there's no way but bad is bad we've all been through stuff yeah Yeah. (laughs) um I could use a whole lot of expletives but I won't (laughs) and um it's just how we so in my book I talk about how like the steps that I've had to find and the key components the pillars that I've had to find to be able to live a full life to not Mm -hmm. just survive not just breathe and take up space but to actually see color again and to enjoy the moments of life that are meant to be enjoyed to the fullest extent that I can and that I'm I'm able and it's not perfect and I'm by no means an expert because all I have to offer is my story Mm -hmm. um but that's life that's part of the journey that we're all we're all on Mm -hmm. is is that but I also I do in my book talk a lot about too um just some of the reactions I received and how it really hindered my ability to to heal fully for a long time Mm. um and one of them was that there was a a group of ladies at my church that um didn't as I started like opening up during the trial process and stuff they they didn't believe me Mm. but yeah yeah that's which, a common response. Yeah, which is actually that's super like it's it's interesting that you like talk you're talking about that and tied it in because later on in July, um, everything going well, um, I have a guest of a girl that I went to college with who um hmm. suffered dom- domestic abuse in she was married to a pastor and he, you know, uh committed domestic abuse against her all the time and the same kind of response from like the lady, like those ladies that you were talking about, she had the same kind of response from some people in the church as well. Like, well, it's, you're, you know, you're just the man's wife. You're supposed to be submissive and do whatever he tells you. And then like, they tried to just normalize it. And she was like, this isn't normal. What do you mean? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's interesting that there's that um, correlation. Um, yeah. With that. And I think it's just uncomfortable. It's, a, it's uncomfortable for everybody, but the, the, it's just super uncomfortable, I think, for people in the church to try and wrap their head around this, like any, either either situation, and think outside of you know their what they've been told. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's such a a. I have so many things I want to say. Um, a, I'm glad that you're writing your book. I'm I'm really glad that you're writing that book as uh, an older brother of two sisters as a i call my uh stepdaughter my bonus daughter as a father of uh, not biologically mine but a daughter um i don't know how i would react to that situation other than wanting to find that person and do horrible unspoken things to them commit great crimes yeah and it's it it's one of those things it's you, no one is going there's no playbook on okay you've been a victim of sexual assault here's what you do next right 
and and how people perceive this topic that is difficult but important to talk about um is you you see the same story play out very frequently in the sense that people don't believe the accuser and that unfortunately there have been some women especially to high profile individuals you know make these accusations that haven't come out to be true and then that's where everybody wants to stand on the hill and say see this is why we just can't believe everybody well a yes but b no we we there has to be a more open discussion and the ability to look at this particular situation and see that there are things that happen very commonly after such a horrific event occurs, and we can do things to stop that. And I think your book will be instrumental in that, in giving maybe someone who has suffered this tragic event, you know, not a playbook, but, okay, here's what I went through and here's how you can change what happens next mm -hmm. if this should happen to you. Yeah. I think it's also... Yeah, two things. Oh, no, go ahead. Oh, go I, ahead. Mean, I, I was going to say, I think it's also uh, super important uh, with your book coming out and everything to, uh, to help change the narrative from survivor to literally anything else other than just survivor. Um, so I think, yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, you go from victim... To survivor, mm -hmm. survivor, to victor. Yeah. Where you're out on top, where mm -hmm. you, we can conquer that mountain, um, and yeah. and and be above. Right, because they first they just they always just stop at survivor. They're like, mm -hmm. and at that connotation at that point is well, at least you made it out and you're breathing. Like, well, there's more to life. There's more to life than just being a lump on a log and breathing. Like. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, like two things that were said earlier about the, the disbelief, mm. um, I've done a lot of research and it, it's a very small number of sexual assaults that are reported that are actually falsified. It's, it's yeah. less than 5%. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then on the flip side, so many sexual assaults are not reported. Mm -hmm. What we do know about what is reported is that one in four, one in four to one in five women are going to experience sexual assault before they're out of college. Holy. That's what's reported. Yikes. That is what's reported. And then with that, less than 10% of um, rapists will spend any time in jail will even be, I mean, mm -hmm. such a low number are even prosecuted, and then an even lower number are given any any prison time at all. And what is an anomaly about my particular case is that uh, some will say that it's because he had more than one victim. That's not true. The majority of convicted rapists will admit that they have on average, on average, eight. Eight victims, but they're serving time for one. And I can send you guys like the notes too, if you guys want these, so that you know I'm not just like stealing, no, no, like, that's they send them over if you want for can, sure. It's it's definitely stuff that um, we can use um, even after this podcast is done to um, for you know, anything. And anything. So, yeah, and so and um, 
where was I? Okay, so that's not what's an anomaly in my case. What What's odd is that I didn't know my attacker because 90% of victims do know their attacker in some yeah. form or capacity. Mm-hmm. And so that makes my story kind of seem, I mean, it's like, yeah, I feel like it could be written for like daytime only, nighttime TV. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that my attacker, he's never going to walk the streets again. Yeah. I never have to worry about my rapist walking the streets again because he's serving four consecutive life sentences and the death penalty. So even if he comes up for parole for his one life sentence, then he's going to have to start serving another one. Another one, yeah. And that is not the case for any other person I know who's been raped and whose attacker is serving time. Mm-hmm. They have to go to parole hearings. They have to go or to probation hearings. I mean, they have to go. It's constantly revisited and it's mm-hmm. constantly having to retell how and why this person should not be allowed back on the streets. And it shouldn't, it shouldn't be that way. Why no. do you, why do you think that is that the sentence is so light for, for most of these uh, offenders. I mean, I know you're not a lawyer, but you've done a lot of research on this. And what would be your best educated guess as to why that is? Hmm. Sorry, not so, to put you on the spot. Uh, no, 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 no. Um, I can give you a little bit of a history sentence. So, in I think it was 1974, 78. I don't remember the exact year. Mm-hmm. Georgia v. Cocker was passed in the Supreme Court, which overturned the death penalty for rape. Mm. And they said the Supreme Court noted because it was a violation of the Eighth Amendment and fell under cruel and unusual punishment because the rapist, quote, didn't take a life. Well, <laughs> and so I really think that a lot of it has to do with conversations like this one that we're having mm-hmm. aren't being had yeah. and people aren't yeah. vocalizing and acknowledging the depth of what rape does to an individual mm-hmm. not just me but my entire family my husband is the unspoken collateral damage yes he's amazing he's an amazing man because he married a woman who he knew was forever changed from the woman he fell in love with Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, my parents um, walked through that entire process with me. There, as a parent, I I can't fathom having to in, endure that mm-hmm. with my child, and um, my parents, my friends. I mean, it it. I think there's this misconception that rape is an event that happens and then ends. But the issues remain really real and present throughout the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. And it affects every area of what we do because that's what trauma does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But this particular crime is on such a different level because of the boundaries that are violated mm-hmm. within sex. Sex is a beautiful thing when when within the right context when there is consent present when there is you know both parties are mutually 
engaged. Engaged. I was going to say mutually, yeah, mutually engaged. You know. But but when that's taken away, mm-hmm. that is like the most vulnerable position that you can willingly put yourself in. And then when that's taken away and that's forced upon you, it's not sex. It is no. violence and it yep. is control and it is dehumanizing. Yes. And yeah. and like you said, it's it's not something that you just bounce back from. Your your brain is obviously telling you, okay, this is how we're going to cope mm-hmm. with this. We're going to pretend like it never happened immediately afterwards. But no one knows how they would respond in that situation and, until it would happen. And mm-hmm. and as a man, let's say the shoe was on the other foot in the rare, 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 rare case that that would ever happen. I Still as a, a male, I feel like I would respond differently because i you know different Mm -hmm. sex that's just different gender no one can tell someone how they should or how they're going to once again there's no playbook for this and how long did it take you to feel a to recognize that you were just kind of going through the motions and b to if it's happened to feel like you do have your life back in some sense that you're actually living so, um, just real quick, when you're talking about like the rare, rare, rare occasion of men, it actually happens a lot more than mm-hmm. what people would. Yeah, um, more often than what you'd think. Surmise, but there's so much more stigma attached to men that it's even more underreported, and it's even more. When I go and speak, there's times when um, men will come up to me and share with me when they were younger men, like when they were little, mm-hmm. when they were boys. And it's, I find that that's um, a whole lot more common, unfortunately, than what yeah. we would like to believe. And so I just don't want to push that under the rug and, and not address that, even though I'm speaking as like a, a from the standpoint of a, a woman. Well, um, and, and that might be a part of my brain coming into play, too, because a situation yeah. like that kind of happened to me in college that involved alcohol mm. being I was drinking that night. I don't want to make it seem like I was, you know, like drugged, but at the same time, a lot of alcohol was forced down my throat so I could be in a very vulnerable situation to have sexual uh, practices with a certain individual that I'd never really had any interest in. But that individual was really interested in getting me to the point where I wasn't going to remember anything that night. So mm. and she succeeded. So, you know, anyway. Not comparing me to you whatsoever, but, uh, you know, the the stigma is a lot different. I'll just put it that way. It is a lot different because people would say to you, like, oh, don't act like you didn't want it anyway. Or, you know, and it just minimizes the the evil, like the level of, of evil. Like, that's not... Because when you're at that point, when that person is at that point of taking something so precious from someone it's not about sex anymore it's about control and it's about violence and it's about dehumanizing them and so I'm really sorry that that happened and I'm really sorry that you felt like that um it's just that you've like faced that that stigma and I want to thank you for being vulnerable and and honest about about what your experience has been because that's not easy well, no, and, and and again, it's 
it's an important but hard topic to talk about, you know, but at the same time, just because it's hard and might be a little uncomfortable, I would say that that's something that we should have more conversation around because of those two things. You know, if it's hard and uncomfortable, we should probably be discussing it so that we're not giving rape victims or I'm sorry, rapists, you know, a a five year sentence and sending Mm -hmm. them back out on the street. I mean, yeah, yeah, so that they can do it again. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and from the you know, from the military side of things, so I don't know. I mean, I'm in the Air Force and I was in the Marines before and uh they do a very uh piss poor job of having these conversations and telling people mm-hmm. uh basically not to do it. Um the the standard go-to that has been around for a long time and I sure you may have seen this is that t video the little stick figure that's like you know don't force t on somebody and it's basically equating sex to t and basically like talking about consent all that stuff um and nobody takes it seriously because at at the root of it it's kind of a comical video because they've equated sex to t and trying to like Mm -hmm. basically teach fucking like how not to rape 101 to a bunch of military guys um it's not an effective strategy, and um, then they all look around confused as to why it still happens. Um, so these type of conversations, I think, are the better educators um, to people of, you know, this is what this does to people. And, you know, basically don't be that – don't be that person. Like there is – I don't know. I, just, I have a hard time fathoming in my brain – why someone would want to do that i it's hard for me to draw the connection um just i guess of that like unspeakable evil that you would just commit on on someone who has no choice in the matter uh you're breaking up a little bit amanda sorry There we go. There you go. Sorry. That just like in a in a society that is so over sexualized, we need to be having these conversations mm-hmm. about what healthy sex is. And frankly, if we're having these conversations with eighteen year old um, men as they're joining in the military, it's too late. Yeah, these conversations need to be happening a lot lot sooner with body mm-hmm. autonomy. Of like, my girls are not forced to hug anybody that they don't want to mm-hmm. and likewise if someone's like oh give me a hug i'll step in and say you know what they said no and so that's their answer you need to accept it mm-hmm. like it, yeah. you don't need to be polite you don't need to be nice if it's not comfortable to you then don't yeah because lo- um, lo- looking back now it was like that happened a lot growing up like i know we're yeah i'm almost 30 alex is just over 30 i'm not gonna be rude and ask how old you are um <laughs> <laughs> but like that was the norm growing up through the mm-hmm. 90s and early 2000s because you had the baby boomers who were your grandparents or whatever that were like no go, yeah. up, and, go up and hug that person and be nice and it's like i don't know this dude from adam like why <laughs> and i think that those conversations and allowing 
kids to have the power to say no and learning that is so so important and even like when my girls are with their friends and they want to give their friend a hug but their friend is clearly not about not comfortable with it I'm like hey did you ask if you could give a hug like did you you know like if you and maybe it sounds so um people would say like oh well in the moment you don't want to ask well if you're unsure, you better be asking yeah. because if the girl, if your partner's frozen, if the other participant is frozen, they're not into it. Mm-hmm. You need to like pause and ask like, hey, are you okay with this? And if they say no, then be man enough or woman enough to say, okay, then let's go do something else. Like mm-hmm. I might need to go for a run to get this energy out of me or I might need to go do something else that's more of like a healthy outlet than mm-hmm. what, you know. But let's like these conversations they'll need to be had and they need to be had often. As soon as we start talking about sex with our kids is when these conversations need to be having. Yeah. I think need to you're had as well. Yeah, you're a hundred percent right on that. I do want to kind of um, circle back to something you mentioned earlier about the amount of reporting not happening and how that ties mm-hmm. into the feeling like you had where you don't want your body to be a crime scene. Mm-hmm. And I, that's like a, I think it's just that's a big factor into why a lot of those don't get reported, which is understandable um, at the time because like you a just went through a traumatic experience and now you have to go try and report this and literally fight the urge to not try and cleanse yourself from that and now mm-hmm. you have who knows how many other people trying to like poke and prod at you and like all, even more uncomfortableness in order to try and get the DNA and everything that they need to build a case. And uh, yeah, it's, that's, it's unimaginably tough. So I don't know. There's, I don't know if there's much we can do at, at that spot to try and help well, like so reporting numbers come up. We, I think it's education of like knowing that there are services out there because there's a lot of, um, response units and i didn't know this but and there needs to be more frankly all over the world but really really all over the world but if we could start with our country that would be great where um you can go to a particular place like and law enforcement should be aware of what they are they're called different things all over like a safe house a butterfly house all kinds of things Mm -hmm. where it is separate from the hospital and not at a police station. They're typically nonprofits. Mm. And they will kind of, um, it's just a much gentler environment. Yeah. There's a nurse that's been trained in that they'll have an advocate with them if they want to. Um, law enforcement will come in after the exam is mm. complete and do and take a report. But they have um, what most people don't maybe always realize is that are, your clothes are taken as evidence. And mm-hmm. so if you go to a hospital, sometimes a hospital is scrambling if they don't have those services in place to find clothes for that individual or that individual has to call so, a loved one to bring clothes down for them to wear mm-hmm. home. And so these places will have like sweats, like comfy clothes mm-hmm. and showers for after the exam for the person to be able to take a shower and and things like that just because there's no way getting around of how incredibly invasive the yeah. exam is. But if you can make it more 
humane humanizing yeah and giving the person um just every step of the way i'm gonna do this now is that okay Mm -hmm. they say yes you do it they you they say no you stop they stop they don't force them and i think that um that's incredibly I don't, I'm like losing the word, but empowering for the victim after yeah. going through something so um, inhumane. Yeah. I and would, yeah. Um, it, seeing more of those over throughout the country that are funded would be nice. Yeah, I would, I, I agree with you there for sure. It's more empowering. And I would say it's also uh, more compassionate than going to somewhere else mm-hmm. where they're just going to treat it as essentially a crime scene and get in and do what they have to do. It could definitely help will help um, the victim's mentality uh, leaps and bounds in the long, in the long run. Um, I know I do just like crapped all over the military for their education and it is, it is crap. But uh, I, one thing that I guess they do decently well is um, push out the services for after, if it happens, um, the, flip side of that coin is we're pushing that more heavy than we are trying to prevent um which yeah. is sad in and of itself but um at least there's something um on the unfortunate back end that is you know helpful to people um now i thankfully haven't known anyone that's had to go through it so i don't know how compassionate and um humane it is on the on the uh, on the flip side um i hope that um they do end up taking uh, victims to places like you mentioned that are a little bit more compassionate rather than just rolling them down into uh, either the clinic on base or um, OSI uh, because that's basically like the cops, um, the investigative branch. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you, I could do my own research too, but if you happen to have any research or uh, any like uh, links or anything, resources, that's what I was looking for. For the places like that, um, I know that I can at least try and route that up some somewhere along my chain that'll hopefully help somebody along the way um, and see if we can get something like that implemented. Um, I mean, I always know in the Florida area because that's where I'm currently located. That's fair. And I know of some in Virginia and in Nevada because okay. those are now all the – now you know where I have lived. <laughs> there you go. Um, okay. That's fair. I'm sure that – New Jersey has something along the same lines. I'll do my own little, I'll do my own digging. Oh, I'd hope so. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, but to circle like way, way back, back earlier, we, you asked, um, about how long, or I was asked yeah. about how long had it taken before I realized I was just going through the motions and it was about, Two and a half years is about the time of the trial. So, um, the the person that had attacked me was captured thirteen months after my after my rape, and then he was the trial wasn't for another essentially eighteen months. And so, um, like two years in, two and a half years, I was just really fed up with being a ball on the couch because I would just spend a lot of my free time that wasn't taken up in my classes because due to this I had to take some victory laps around uh to get my bachelor's Mm -hmm. 
the following semester, I failed several of my classes, understandably so. My head just wasn't in the right space. Um, And I was 24 years old at the time, about to turn 25, and presumably had a whole lot of life left to live. And I, I knew that it couldn't consist of just being on the couch, staring aimlessly at whatever stupid reality TV was on the what was playing Mm -hmm. and um i wanted more i wanted to return back to the land of the living but i didn't know how it just seemed so unattainable for me and um i mentioned that i go to church and so my faith was a huge has played a huge huge role in that um and the, the first thing that I was led to do through my relationship with Jesus was to forgive the man who raped me, which mm. is super controversial, super, like, I don't make a lot of friends saying that. Yeah. Um, because I think people confuse forgiveness as being like indulgence and mm-hmm. and forbearance as saying like oh, oh it's okay like what we would do to our friends like oh she hurt your feelings we'll say you're sorry yeah okay now go run off and play yeah. but it it wasn't that it was um it freed me forgiving him and i was able during that in my impact statement um, during the sentencing to, at the end, I, I let him have it. I let him know everything that, that this had caused in my mm-hmm. life up to that point. And I said, but even with all that, I forgive you because of who Jesus is in my life. And it wasn't for him. It was for me. Mm-hmm. It was for me to be able to cut that tie and yeah. say, you no longer get to have this control over my life. You no longer get to be to take up the space in my head and in my heart that you don't deserve to have anyways, because there's nothing that he can do to undo what he did to me. Right. But in my faith, Jesus and his cross, what he did, what he accomplished is big enough to absorb that. And so I can take that and, and pass that on to the Lord for him, for his judgment, for him to contend with and to just be free from that. And it's not, that easy it is a choice forgiveness is a an act of the will Mm -hmm. and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart and so um that was the very very first step for me of reclaiming my life was to walk in forgiveness um you know take it leave it but that's what what gave it to me and um and my, my the title of my book is Reclaiming. Mm-hmm. The publisher really wanted me to say how I, or the title in my book is uh, Reclaiming My Life. And the publisher really wanted me to say how I reclaimed. And I said, Mm-mm, because this is a lifelong journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is continual. This is forever for me until I am face to face with Jesus in heaven. And so... There have been seasons in my life where I have been able to walk very victorious and really enjoy that fullness mm-hmm. that is out there for all of us to to claim and to enjoy. And then there has been seasons that have caused me to have to revisit that trauma 
as another layer of healing has been pulled back and I'm just taken mm. deeper into a bigger understanding of, or a bigger acceptance, I guess, of what was taken, what was lost and, and, and reconciling that. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to, to normalize that too, that just because someone's doing well at a certain point in their life doesn't mean that the trauma is not going to have to be revisited and that a deeper level of healing is going to have to be accomplished. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Trauma is like a, a bad onion. There's always more layers somewhere down the way yeah. that eventually get peeled back. Or you're going to have to deal with the bad spot that's underneath. Mm-hmm. It, it's like you said, you know, he, he can't go back and undo it. You know, I, I always think of situations like that, like trying to put toothpaste back in the tube of toothpaste. Mm-hmm. That's not how it works. It's not going to happen like that. And I feel like that's kind of how our court system looks at it, too. You know, um, it's always shocked me, especially for convicted rapists. And um, I feel like it's very similar for for uh, people who have committed um, child sex. Child sex offenders mm-hmm. is the word that I'm looking mm-hmm. for. I've always been shocked at at the light sentences and it it feels to me like it's it's viewed in the sense of okay well at least that person still has their life well not really that that person that walked into that garage that night that Amanda doesn't live here anymore she's not here anymore right and a big part of your moving forward not to speak for you is recognizing that Unfortunately, that Amanda died that night. You know, she's no longer with us. And now the next Amanda can be beautiful and have three amazing children and a wonderful husband. And that's not to say that it has to be a horrible life. But at the same time, you don't get that back. That yeah. that's not some that that level of trauma isn't something you just move on from and say, oh, well, like you said, sorry, you know, tell Amanda you're sorry. Like, that's yeah. not how it works, you know. Right. Right. That that forgiveness process, that's very intriguing to me. And I, I because I've had conversations with people before surrounding forgiveness and atheists, uh, Christians, you know, you name it, um, about what that looks like. What, what, and maybe this is too vague of a question, what did that look like for you in the sense of forgiving him i mean you don't for do you forgive for the action do you forgive for for you know being a human and making a mistake or i i guess what and if this is too deep of a question feel free to say alex i don't really want to get into this um uh but it's intriguing to me and it maybe not maybe intriguing is not even the right word but it's very I don't know that I could find it within myself. If that happened to my daughter, I don't know that I could ever find it within myself to forgive the man that did that to her. I know I should, you know, especially faith-based and holding on to it's not going to do me any good, but I just don't know that I could Mm -hmm. ever really bring myself to that level to forgive that individual. Shameless plug. Um, This is two full chapters in my book. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, perfect. Where I, I talk about the process and what, I mean, it is so unnatural and it really, really has to do with um, everything about who Jesus is in my life and um, how I've given my life to him. And so do I forgive the action? 
I think I had to understand that, or I had to, how do I say this? It took, I mean, it, it's like happened in stages, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it's gone like deeper as I've gotten older and as I've walked through this journey. But recognizing for me that God didn't will this to happen, but we're given free will. And so we suffer the consequences of that. And so realizing for me that um, the night my soul was being murdered, God the Father wept over me like he wept over his son when he was on the cross. And Jesus died for my benefit. He died for my sins, for my benefit to pay for um, that atonement. And so I've accepted that and he is the Lord and savior of my life. And so me walking out of unforgiveness with me denying who I was in him and for, um, we forego, I was foregoing my identity in the Lord when I was walking in unforgiveness and I needed to forgive for myself because my unforgiveness was affecting every relationship I had. I was bitter. I was angry. I was self-righteous. I was, I mean, nothing good because unforgiveness will breed roots of bitterness that'll crack Mm -hmm. the very foundation of who we are. Mm -hmm. And so I don't forgive the act. I guess I accept it for what it is and for what it's taught me. Um, But it's acknowledging that that I don't know what that man has been through to bring him to that point, but I can pretty well imagine that when he was a little boy, he didn't imagine that he would end up in court um, for having raped three women and murdering his last. And, um, and I, you asked like, Oh, do I forgive him? Not to, I'm not going to sit down and have dinner with the guy. Ever. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, of course. Yeah. You know, I mean, some well, there's people in my people camp that have done it who have done it, and they are amazing to me. Like, I'm in awe of the amount of strength that that takes to do. Um, but it's just a release of saying, like, this is not my burden to carry anymore, and I'm gonna lay it down, uh, symbolically, metaphorically. Like, I'm gonna lay this down at the foot of the cross and just let it go and not carry this burden anymore that's not for me to carry. Mm-hmm. It wasn't doing any good for me, and so it's um, I'm probably not doing the best explaining it. No, no, no you're, I, doing, I com- you're doing fine actually. I, it's I just think... allowing and trusting the Lord, trusting Jesus to absorb that because He's really the only one that can bring healing in that aspect, mm-hmm. um, and He's the only one that could really. Like just trusting that the cross is big enough to absorb my sin, but it's also big enough to absorb the sin that's done against me. Yeah, it it sounds like faith plays a huge instrumental role in it, and mm-hmm. um, that's that's one of the beautiful things about having a a faith in religion, especially a, a faith in Jesus that you know that He can carry that for you, and that's mm-hmm. why He was here and came and died for our sins so and for the sins of others, you know, no matter how mm-hmm. big or how bad. I mean, I feel like that guy's going to have a pretty tough time uh, when he gets up to those gates. I don't think that's going to be a great uh, fun time for him. Um, 
but you know, again, that's not that's not for us to decide. You know, that's we're we're not the judge and jury. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, I have a question, Amanda, along the 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 faith aspect since we're on it, because I did uh, look on the website and read through kind of the synopsis and everything, and it, it did say that you know you question your faith and your faith in God for a while. Um, and I'm not trying to compare apples to apples here. This is probably more like apples to peanuts um, because, but like when I went through uh, my divorce, I sat down and literally cursed God to his face. And like, so I don't know if you went through like the similar like type of thing, but like what, um, what was the process of, um, I guess, to eventually getting back from that point to, to back to where you are now where you're, you know, wholly trusting and, and everything again. Yeah. Um, so we, my husband and I met with a, a pastor, at our, our church, um, after the preliminary trial, it was my poor husband, like shortly after <laughs> we got married seven months into our marriage, um, James Bela was captured. And then shortly after that, we had our the preliminary trial and the the stress of that caused me to suffer uh, one of our miscarriages. Mm. And so it was like, enough is enough. Like, I don't even know that God is real. And if he is like, what is this even for? Like, this is trash. This is garbage. A um, couple other expletives and, you mm-hmm. know, so we sat down with a pastor and a pastor was very compassionate and kind and just said like your people have been questioning and wrestling with their faith from the beginning of time like all throughout the bible there's evidence of that and so you just have to make the choice amanda you have to decide i can't make it for you are you willing to wrestle with god through this onto the other side, are you willing to look at all the evidence that you have in your life leading up to this point and say, yeah, I see your intervention. I see you uh, like just where he had shown up, up into that point and say, okay, I cannot deny who you are up to this point. So I'm going to wrestle with you to the other side. Like um, Jacob did before he, before God changed his name to Israel. Mm-hmm. Or are you just going to throw in the towel and say, you know what, enough is enough and walk away. And he kind of left that meeting with that question. And mm. we were going to meet up a few weeks later. And at that moment, I honestly didn't have an answer for him. And I didn't want to wrestle with God, but I had nowhere else to go. Like, where else am I going to go? Yeah. Maybe people will say to me, like, oh, your faith is so strong. Like, what other option do I have, really? And um, and so it, it just, I talk a lot about that in my book, too, just what that wrestling looked like. There's journal entries and stuff, and it, it wasn't pretty. It was messy. It was, but it's what needed to happen, and God's big enough to take it. And, um, you know, I can say, honestly, like, I... I did come out on the other side with a bigger understanding of what Jesus endured on the cross for my benefit. And he, he takes these trials. 
so to speak. And he is the master redeemer. He he promises to trade beauty for ashes, and he promises that he'll use all things for for our good, for the good of those who love him. And we don't always know what that good is, and that good doesn't always make sense to us. But he's after our eternal good. He's after our souls. And so <clears throat> I had to to trust that. Mm-hmm. And um, there are still seasons where I am still thoroughly ticked that this is what he decided I needed, or not what he decided I needed to walk through. But I just don't understand why it had to play out the way that it did. And again, he's big enough to take that. I think it it falls under a similar category. I've always said when I get to heaven, my first question is going to be, "What's what's four year old cancer about? Why do why do four year olds get cancer and die? That's not fair, man. Why 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 do we need that? And uh, the residual answer, or at least humanly answered that I always think of is, by the time you get there, brother." that's going to be like back burner stuff. Like you don't, you don't need what, what comes next is so unfathomable that that's not even going to be a speck on your radar post afterlife, you know, and, and unfortunately, yes. And I think the goodwill thing or uh, free will, excuse me, comes huge into play. You know, um, if we were all designed to be robot Christ followers, well, then there's no aspect of faith. And without the aspect of faith, what are we doing here anyway? You know, if we're just commanded to follow someone. And unfortunately, there is evil in the world. Now, is that what you tell a rape victim or a mother who just lost their four-year-old child? Well, sorry, God gave us free will, so there's evil. Um, That's just tough luck. You just drew the short straw. No, of course not. You know, there's compassion and and things that go into it yeah. to help get and you lament with them and you pray yeah. with them exactly yeah. you pray with them you hug them consensually you know um yes. yeah sorry bad joke <laughs> i told you um but no, no it, it in all in all reality you know you, that's what we're here to do and it doesn't matter if I'm going through a tough season, your trauma, different from my trauma, different from Ben's trauma, we're, we all just need to be here to help each other and pull in the same direction. And by the time we get to the other side, it's all peanuts, you know. We just got to get there and get there the best way yeah. we can. Yeah, on his timeline, not ours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. That's that's really beautiful, though. Like I said, I don't... I don't know that I don't know how I would react if some if that happened to a female in my life exactly or, or how happened I would react to me. and I'd be in jail for the rest of my life. Well, I've told my wife many a times if anybody ever hurts Reagan, my door to the office in the basement is going to become locked and barred up and I'm going to say don't go in there and when I play really loud music at night, um it's just the screams coming from the stereo. So that's it. That's just don't even don't come in my office. Don't ask questions about who's in my office or <laughs> Yeah, I will be either in jail for the rest of my life or yeah. I will become a ghost and no one's ever going to find me again. Like that's what's going to happen. Yeah, I under yeah, I get that on like a real level. Um, I honestly don't know how my dad and my mom, well, really how my whole family sat in the courtroom <clears throat> so close to him. Mm. But I mean, my dad has dark, it's our, our dark 
dark humor. And it's, I don't take it lightly because I do know that he is someone's brother. He is someone's son. But he's been sitting on death row all this time now. My dad's like, I don't know what's taking so long. I mean, I, I've got ammo that I can supply. We can go back to the firing <laughs> squad. It's all right. It's like, yeah. I'll ease the burden from the government. I'll take it. Like, oh, well, due to inflation, God. it's probably about a two fifty round now over a hundred thousand right. dollar lethal injection. Um, so you're saving the government <laughs> money at this rate. Um, hey. But yeah, I I get the dark humor thing though because that's just that's how I cope with a lot of things. Is it's dark humor and it's bread. <laughs> it's bread from trauma. It's bread from being in the military. It's just how you know, just how things happen. But yeah. Well, and I I think a sense of humor is critical i mean and again everybody copes differently but i I think you have to at least in my brain have to look at these horrible traumatic events and and be able to not laugh about it again but be able to look at it in a way that says okay this happened what am i gonna do sit here and wallow Mm -hmm. am i just gonna sit and cry the rest of my life no i'm gonna get off my butt and put my pants on and go to work and try to make this situation the best possible way that I can and finding humor in a really dark situation. I mean, I think especially you being a follower of, of Jesus, Jesus had a a good sense of humor and uh, anybody that one of my favorite stories about God's sense of humor, sorry, I'm totally changing the subject. Um, There's a notoriously bad hitter um, Got about in the 30 MLB. seconds of line, dude, before I start reeling you back in, so hurry up. No, there was a notoriously <laughs> bad hitter in the MLB, and uh, he said, they'll probably put a man on the moon before I hit my first home run. And 30 seconds after Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong walked on the moon, he hit his first and only ever career home run. <laughs> a, you can't tell me that God doesn't have a sense of humor. And B, you can't tell me God doesn't love baseball. So, sorry. But that's, yeah, that's my classic, like, come on, man. What are the odds? You know, that's, what are the odds? Like, saying it outright, we have hit on, like, all four of the pillars that I talk about in my book. And Mm. the first one is my backbone. (laughs) Sorry, my throat. But that is my relationship with the Lord. That is like, it holds you up, your backbone and your body serves up, but it's integral, right? And so that yeah. is where my identity stems from, my backbone, my relationship with the Lord. Second is my rib cage. That's my community. The rib cage has the, it's connected to your backbone and it's charged with protecting all your vital organs and mm-hmm. to absorb a blow when it comes. And that is your close friends that is need to be selected with wisdom <laughs> um as i learned mm-hmm. and um the third is your funny bone you have i had to learn how to laugh again and i had to learn to just you know when my kids do something where i'm like what were you thinking oh that's right you don't have your full brain you weren't thinking <laughs> so <laughs> like that's just yeah. you know um taking those moments for what they are and enjoying them as much as you can. And then the fourth one is I had to find my wishbone. I had to change my why me into what now, what am I going to do with this? What am I going to like? What is my, what now, what am I doing today? And it doesn't have to be 
as monumental as writing a book. I said I would never write a book. Don't ever tell God that you never will. Never say no. He will have you never, nevering like you nevered before. Um, (laughs) I just saw that the other day. I'm like, cause I'm finishing up my edits to my edits from the last edit. Um, But it's the what now that will drives my resolve to continue to face the darkness and Mm -hmm. my what now has turned into it's been different throughout my season different seasons of life for a while my what now is I'm going to get up and be a present mom for my kids Mm -hmm. and for my husband because that's who and what they deserve and I deserve that and now my what now is educating society Mm. about the lifelong effects that rape has and to equip and encourage victims to become survivors to become victors victors um and so yeah like you've without even knowing it you hit on all four of my <laughs> like that's my book we have uh but you should still read it <laughs> that's why they pay us the big bucks baby and we get big bucks i mean zero dollars at all <laughs> <laughs> we have a pretty uncanny knack for letting conversation naturally ride and then having these type of things at the end going well we i wrote a book and we've actually hit on all four of these and you didn't directly ask me once what each one of these four things were and we're just like ah, oh, you know we're good at what we do um so yeah um wow ben we're good at what we do hey no, we gotta give I, ourselves a pat on the back every so now and then all right well, yeah exactly right i i take over the ego for both of us it's the cross i bear uh, I, um I think like we've said a few times, these conversations, and I'm not just saying it because we're on a podcast having the conversation. I'm, I genuinely mean these conversations are very important and they are hard and you don't want mm-hmm. to say anything. Again, I, I say it every single week. I come into the episode. I'm like, okay, you cannot make any jokes. Like, do not like I have all these things in my head. I'm like, dude, okay, this is going to be a touchy subject. And then by the end when it just you just have conversations with people you're like okay it is jokes are fine you know now and granted if that wasn't the scene that's not the scene but at the same time if you just meet people where they are and just have genuine honest conversations with them uh, uh, even about uncomfortable things everyone can learn and grow and we can get to a situation to where we recognize that things are horrible and they're bad and that evil does exist in the world, but we can rally around each other and try to make the best of that situation as possible. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so I think I've only got a couple things left and one of these things is actually Alex's thing, but I like to introduce it, but we'll get there in a second. Um, I just wanted to say, you know, thank you again for taking the time um, to talk with us tonight and, and, and go through this and and yes this conversations are extremely important so i just want to say if there's anything that alex and i can do um to help more than what we are just by sitting on this podcast and having the conversation and putting your your book out there for people let us know um please and uh, we'll do whatever we can um to help because um the education needs to happen and it needs to be a lot better than what it has been um but on to um Alex's thing. So we asked we asked this question uh to the majority of our guests um every week that we have on. Um it's been just a thing we started this year uh, and I have a little 
mental tally board of or ranking board of everybody's answer to this question um just because i think it's it's interesting um but alex okay. i'm gonna go ahead and let you send the question thanks a bunch i was gonna tell you like let's not ask a question this week but uh, I, I, I mean think it's important i think it's no, still I think important it's i think it still fits yeah. i thought about it for a second no. i was like no i think it still fits i know i one of our first guests at the end was like do you have any other questions and me being the big brain person that i am i was like yeah why are we here who's humble now like, what yeah no i'm that was extremely <laughs> uh that was satirical saying big brain because now i've gotten myself into a situation where every week we ask so why do you think we're here uh what do you think the whole goal of humanity is and people yeah. look at me they're like oh my god dude you say that for last like jesus <laughs> yeah. you know but at the same time it's been really cool and i think you've touched on a lot of it already with your faith and everything but I, i'm not going to speak for you um you know what do you think the goal of humanity should be in the sense of why are we here what's our purpose what are we all what should we all be working towards kind of leave it at that yeah super loaded i know and it can be a sentence it can be a paragraph it can be three words five words 150 words whatever you want but why are we here <clears throat> because god wanted us here yeah it, i had it a says that and and did you did you see that coming uh <laughs> I, mean, I, I did kind of yeah yeah god yep. said let us you know let us make human man in our image and so why are we here because god formed adam out of dirt and then breathed life into him and you can argue uh you know evolution with me that's fine i'm all for micro evolution not so much macro evolution um but um to show glory to god for us to live our lives in a manner that in such a posture that people see his work in our lives and and end up praising him and glorifying him it's not, I think my, uh, can you guys hear me? Yeah, we can hear yeah. you. You're still good. Yep. Okay. Yeah. This one just turned off. Sorry. We're getting down to the line. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, maybe that was like a, oh, I saw that coming from the Christian lady, but. No, no, really, no. We've had, uh, we've had. I mean, we're supposed to be coming more like Christ once you accept him into your lives and if we've acknowledged that he's our lord and savior then it, the point is to lead people to him mm -hmm. to the truth and our the greatest thing we can do is to bring our sanctified selves like ourselves that are becoming more like jesus and through the trials that we're walking come alongside other people who are hurting and who are um walking this messy hard road and and love them well there it is. and um you know like love them humbly and and point them to the lord 
mm-hmm. so that they can have that hope as well. And so that they can have eternal life, which is what God desires for us. Yeah. Uh, what? Uh, I was going to say real quick, the reason I said there it is right after you said, you know, you know, come alongside people and love them and help them is because no matter who we have on here, whatever their walk in life is, whether they're Christian, atheist, whatever, we've had a bunch of different people on, their answers all have boiled down to basically that same phrase. No matter what, which is yeah. why we, which is why we really like asking the question, because no matter it's just shown us more and more every time that no matter where you come from, we're not as different as everyone makes us out to be. Yeah, no, because we're all cut from the same cloth. Yeah. Yeah. So in every when, answer, whenever I listen to people, I just wait for that one little some that little phrase, like, whether it's a little know, bit like whether know. it's a little bit tweaked or not. And I'm like, there it is. I'm, I always wait for it. We had a, a near death survivor on. And uh, I asked her that question, and she just very succinctly, very calmly, she said, we're all just walking each other home. And, like, I literally, I just got goosebumps saying that again. It was, like, how beautiful, you know? Like, that's so perfect. Like, and that's essentially what it all kind of boils down to, I think, is we're all just walking each other home. And, again, I totally stole that. I did not come (laughs) up with that. Thank you, Nancy. Um... (laughs) Uh, but well, yeah. the next time I get asked that, that's what I'm. I'll to. <laughs> I'm start giving Nancy royalties. No, I, I think your answer yeah. was perfect. Especially that's like Ben just said. It's really cool listening to so many different people from so different walks of life that have done so many different things. All kind of boil it down to the same kind of answer at the end mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. that's it, it's cool and again well, i i'm not just going to keep parroting what ben just said but we're all a lot more similar than what maybe some major news organizations would have us believe so yeah absolutely yep. well Amanda, once again, thank you so much uh, for thank you for having me. I appreciate it. The time we will uh, will not take up any more of your time on this fine Sunday evening. Go ahead and uh, do. And... Do people? Um, is there like any social media plugs mm. that you have, or where can people find you? Yeah. So. Oh, we can't. We oh, can't no, hear you. Her. Oh no! I think her I other. I think your other headphone died. I think her other headphone died. I think your other headphone died. Are we back? Can you hear me now? Yeah. There yeah. we go. We just missed. Yeah, my all daughter was calling me. Oh. Like, oh okay. Oh. <laughs> um, sorry about that. No, um, so Tears Speak just spelled out T E A R S S P E A K. Okay. Um, zero seven is Facebook and Instagram. That's my nonprofit that I'm starting that okay. has no money, but we're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it happens. That's fine. But it, it's all about, um, like what I shared about my, my what now, as far as educating society, it stands tears stands for teaching and empowering assault rate survivors. Mm, okay. Um, and so- then speak. So gotcha tears like tears coming down your face but obviously you just said what it stands yeah. for and then speak oh seven oh seven all mm-hmm. one perfect all one word all right. yeah perfect we'll make sure yeah. to put those Thank in the so uh show notes as well so everybody can find you there 
You'll be getting a request from me, so it's just easier to link everything, and I'll add you okay. on uh, socials this evening, so I won't forget and have to go back and re-listen. So, and then I can follow you. Okay, sounds good. Perfect. All thank right. You. Yep. So again, we're not gonna take up any more time. Your daughter's already calling for you, so thank you once again yeah. for coming on here and sharing your story and having the the hard talk, so we can do our best to get to get it out there on our end as well yeah thank you thank you thank you thank you amanda all right you gentlemen have a nice evening you too all righty you do the same bye bye all righty uh yeah no kidding i'm like i don't even know what to say that was how you doing over there buddy That was really cool, man. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of respect for that woman. I I'll do just too. Put it that way, because I do too. Uh, that I I don't know how I would react. I don't know. I, I don't uh, know. I don't you know. know. You're saying I don't know how I would react. You know, we've said that quite a few times. We've had a, the same type of conversation before on the podcast. I hope truly that we never have to figure out how we would react. Yeah. To that situation. Yeah. I, I truly hope so too. It stinks that it happened to Amanda, but at mm-hmm. the same time watching her or I should say listening to her talk about how she's made her way through it. Um mm-hmm. again, I just have it's a ton of respect for that lady. Respect so. and it's um inspiring. Yes. And um I'm amazed. She's a strong, resilient woman. And she is literally doing the Lord's work. Yeah, quite literally. Quite, quite literally. literally. And it just, again, just goes to show you, you never know. Like, you would never guess just chatting with her, I'm sure, mm-hmm. off the street, you know, what she's been through. Yeah. And you just never know what, where somebody's at and what they've been through. So just meet them where they're at and be as good as you can to them as possible. Which is important because you guys need to go out there and be kind to each other and make sure that you tell somebody. You love them. Text them right now. Get your phone out again. Uh, find that contact. Yeah, that one. Yep, do that one. Uh, just very simple. I love you. Okay, send. Perfect. All right. All right. Now do it again in person. Homework. Three people this week. Three people this tell week. Somebody you love them. Consensually ask for, the, for a hug. Yes. Yes, that's um, right. But, yep, with that, you guys have a happy and safe uh, 4th of July on Tuesday. And Correct. we will see you back here next week with – we can give everybody a little teaser who's next week, or do we know? Oh, I can. I'll have to pull up my calendar real quick because I don't know off the top of my head. Next week is Larry Jorgensen. Larry Jorgensen. Do we get a little teaser about what his topic is, or are we just going to roll with that? Um, he is a guy that <laughs> does things. Um, they get there eventually. Bear with us. He, I to be honest with you, I don't know what his bio is or what. His All right, story no worries. Is. We got um, another guest this week. We should have guests every week out through hopefully the end of July. So, oh, we've got. Every week in July, and we I just booked the first weekend in August. So there you go. 
Perfect. Keep them coming. Keep them coming. All right, guys. Like I said, happy, have a safe and happy weekend. And we'll see you back here next week for our interview chat, whatever, with uh, Larry Jorgensen. So see y'all. Love y'all. Have a good one. Adios. Love you guys. Well, I'm going to go find some dinner, so I will talk to you later, friend.